0: probably sad that I see Andrea Bormanis as the writer, and I'm like, oh god, no. It's okay, this wasn't. This one isn't that bad, although he has written two episodes I was rather not fond of, one of which I gave Lamentation status, but it's okay, this one's directed by Roxanne Dawson. This is actually her final entry for track. It's, it's, I keep kind of pointing these out as we go. We did this with TOS as well, if you're remembering. Now, this is the last time she's involved with this. And uh, would go on to continue having a pretty successful director's career. Let's see. She worked in a bunch of shows, only a few of which I recognized: Lost, Heroes, uh, The Good Wife, The O.C. Apparently did pretty well for herself, so that's awesome. I've noticed a decent amount of Trek actors kind of go on to become directors. We saw that with Frakes. We saw that with Burton. uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. Dawson. Saval is called The Task. Stell, That was the name of the guy I couldn't remember last time. Is a Cyrenite. Huh. That's actually clever. Rather than try to contest the evidence that Saval is claiming, they decide to run with it and use it for their advantage. That is actually quite clever because while they could have just said Saval just came up with that in a mind meld and it's stupid, instead they decide, you know what? Saval's a rather well-respected member of the High Command and has worked with us for decades and has a long-standing history and yada, yada, yada. Rather than trying to just outright say that, let's, let's use it. So Stell becomes a Fall Guy. Hey, congratulations. You, uh, you're a Serenite now. Enjoy prison or whatever they do to him. They might even execute him given what they intend to do in this very episode and succeed at in many ways. That's neat. Then, of course, they drum Saval out on an unrelated matter. Notice one of the Vulcans kind of glances at Vloss during that. Just remember that for later. This then leads to we f- the finding of Teles, who's awesome. Nice to see her again. And we find out Sirin. Okay, I mentioned how Andre Bromanis has a few issues script-wise, and I've made fun of his scripts before for this. I made fun of really isn't the right word, is it? I have critiqued and criticized his scripts before for this. This is a good example of that. They find out that Arev, or whatever his name was, was actually Siren. There's no need for the next line of dialogue. He was our leader. We have brains. We can determine that the Sirenites might have something to do with Siren. I know. It's hard to believe that we have brains somewhere up here in our brains. Yes, brains in our brains. It's like a brain It's really gross, actually. There's a lot of squishing noises. But the point is, we can figure this stuff out. It's okay. We got this. <sighs> Whatever. This then leads to Taless. And, well, it makes a lot of sense that she would join a movement like this, doesn't it? She was drummed out of, the, of her position... ...on trumped-up charges that were falsified based on current political sway that was connected to her daughter. And I talked about that back in home. And I mentioned how very Vulcan that was. What I probably should have said is that was very current Vulcan, or very high command. Because that is how they're operating right now. That is normal. And that's the problem. Most people probably recognize the problems with high command and how they've been operating. Indeed, even members of high command do. Remember the head turn? That's by Kuvak, by the way. He's actually named. But to less, there's something different, unfortunately or otherwise, about knowing something intellectually and experiencing something personally. To less than experiences personally, and it's like, oh, this is real. And this is actually happening. Huh. <laughs> this also leads to a line I've talked about a few times. See the the thing, if you think about it, here is the way the high command has been operating for all of Enterprise is logic tempered by self-interest. Now I point that out because obviously logic is is only a method; it's not an absolute. But that that is the overall approach. You know, I've I've, t- I've compared the Vulcans to the Borg before, and I will continue to do so in the future, I believe, because the Borg are just logic straight up, nothing else really added on top of that. The Vulcans are supposed to be logic tempered by morality. And that is what we see in several, well, some of the Syronites, not all of them. To'Pau certainly has the same problem the High Command does. Logic tempered by self-interest. They're willing to use logic to do what they seek and what they desire and what they deem best, but not actually go on anything towards you know, the right or wrong axis, only the me or the correct axis and nothing else. This uh, this helps to frame how the Vulcans have been shown in almost the entire show so far. And by making this codified fact, this is the creators trying to say, yeah, we know the Vulcans have been off. But the Vulcans have been off in-universe. They're trying to make it so that rather... How do I phrase this? They're trying to make up for bad writing. Because that's what it is. The Vulcans have been badly written. And so they're not, now they're trying to address that by saying, retroactively, it wasn't badly written, it was done deliberately. You, you get the point. Obviously, it wasn't done deliberately because they didn't plan for this, but that is the overall intent. That's what a retcon is in many ways, trying to change what was with new framing or new perspective to change it into what it is. Although, this isn't retconning. That's, that's wrong. I'm sorry, that's the wrong word. Retconning would be flat out changing the past. This is more reframing the past. So, retframing, maybe? Retroactive framing. They're, they're trying to, to seal in plot holes. Let's just call it what it is. I feel like there's an actual literary term for this that I can't think of right now. Please forgive me. This leads to Kuvak, the reasonable voice. Uh, he he was the one who turned his head, I mentioned earlier. Played by John Rob, uh, Rubenstein, or Rubenstein, I never know how to pronounce that. He was actually back in the 37s. He was also back in Fallen Hero. He's a decent actor, I've seen him in a few things. He does a good job here as being the reasonable voice. I kind of wish the actress they'd gotten for Tapao was Austrian, though. For those of you not aware, the original actress for Tapao was Austrian-American, and thus had a rather uh, distinct Austrian accent back in TOS um, in Amok Time. Here, they just get a woman who has an American accent, so that sucks. I'm willing to let it go a little bit, not because of the fact that it's okay in-universe, but because they were running under a severely limited budget and time crunch, so it's possible they literally just couldn't find someone in time. It would have been nice, especially considering the, the efforts they go to make everything else contiguous, which I suppose is a good time as I need to talk about the Katras. <sighs> I don't really have much to say about them. We didn't discuss as much back in Star Trek 3 because it, I, it, it wasn't that relevant. I mean, there's a Katra. Okay. It is defined as all that you are. Okay. That's cool. And, uh, it is the sense of self. So you, it's, it's left open. You can define that however you want. Okay. Cool. And, uh, the end. That's, that's about all we've got. Although they do mention the idea of what they call them, Katric arcs which were devices which were intended, stated, to contain the Katras of old Vulcans. Now, obviously they didn't, because they tried to access them and failed, but uh, that sounds a lot like a holocron, doesn't it? And it makes me wonder if that kind of a thing could be developed in a more modern time. You know, in, say, TNG or Voyager's era, maybe. Food for thought. Meanwhile, Vloss continues to push for Enterprise to leave, This is interesting because, as so often happens in fiction and in real life, the bad guys tend to defeat their own arguments. By pushing so hard and being willing to be so violent, Vlas is actually undermining his position and gaining support for his opposition I find myself wondering why he is so impatient now. Maybe it's because he's worried about the, you know, the delay effect or oh, if we take too long we won't have the outrage and political capital necessary to push for the agendas that I'm pushing for. Maybe it's just because he's being pushed by something else. I don't know. What do you think? What I do think is that he pushes hard and fast, and, well, I mean, he actually authorizes an attack on the shuttle pod, as well as on the Enterprise. Kuvak actually flips out over this. This is the first time where Kuvak's like, I'm sorry, what? These people have been our allies for a century. And Vlas's only reaction is, we must react now, otherwise we're going to lose our chance to take out the Syranites. We have to take out those gosh darn terrorists, even if it means attacking a military ally. <laughs> I don't even mean any real-life parallel to that sentence. That's That just shows a lot of how Vloss is kind of fraying at the seams here. <laughs> he, uh... Whew, yeah. I, he, all of this actually does make sense, believe it or not. I don't want to discuss why yet. Let's just say that this will be also framed in a different light in the very next episode. Anyways. Meanwhile, Tucker and Saval start connecting, actually, pretty well. Saval is a pretty major character in this whole arc, which is good. Getting him some good screen time and some character moments. There's also a great bit where he admits that he has a fondness of Earth. And Tucker says, wow, you hide it pretty well. And Saval's response is a very genuine Thank you. Like, like he. that's such a compliment. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's so, so all. Anyways. <clears throat> so this then leads to uh, Admiral Gardner, who has been called in to order the humans, to order the Enterprise out of here. I wonder how much influence High Command, and uh, Vloss in particular, has over Starfleet Command at this point in time, and influence at EarthGov for that matter. Because, I I don't want to give away too much, but as we see in this very episode, they are planning a war against Andoria. And they're trying to extend influence. And I find myself wondering if this attempt to extend influence extends to humans, and probably has been. One of the things that was implied, never stated outright and never intended by the creators was that the Vulcans had significant pull within Starfleet Command, and the humans had a, a small but burgeoning faction which was kind of going against that, you know, trying to push Vulcan influence out of human affairs, right? Now, this is something I decided to codify on the rewrite, but it feels like maybe Vloss and his ilk have been... Positioning people and endorsing certain admirals and leaders and commanders and all that fun stuff into positions of command for some time, deliberately and on purpose, specifically so that Vulcans would have more control over human government and the human military. Which is a fun thought, isn't it? Anyways, I'll, I'll mention that next time. Hopefully, I'll remember to mention that next time. Surok, so Tapau is very anti-human, and as I've mentioned before, she tends to be pretty much similar to the High Command. Well, Tales is not. She's someone, she, she is a logic tempered by morality. Tapau is logic tempered by self-interest. I want this artifact, I want Surak, and screw the humans, I'm not gonna risk one human over, let's just kill him, it's fine, whatever. I mean, that's just logic, right? As long as it gets me what I want. That's just logical. Ahem. Thankfully, Archer goes along with it, and no. No, Surak says, No, I'm, I'm sticking with you, and refuses to leave Archer. This implies several interesting things. We know that Siren had been here for a while. We know that Siren, that, that, that the location of the Karshara is right frickin' there, it is not far. And we know that they have been unsuccessful in finding it for some time. You would have to know where it is because tech doesn't work, so the other option is grid pattern in a series of caves in deadly, dangerous environments. So it does make sense that they wouldn't find it, kind of. The, the fact that they mentioned they've been looking for this for years kind of diminishes that a little bit because, you know, after a while you are going to stumble into something. But I digress. Point is, Siren had Siroc in him. Siren did not find this artifact. That means either A, Surak had shared it with Siren and both had agreed not to find it yet, or B, and this is what I believe far more firmly, Surak was capable of resisting giving this information to Siren. Given the fact that Surak is able to resist going into T'Pau, that makes sense. This also seems to line up with Sorok's overall mentality. Now, it would be easy to look at this as a humans are special thing, but it's actually not. Archer being human is not relevant. What is relevant is that Archer is not Vulcan. Could have been any other race. Sorok even says this flat out. You are not Vulcan. That's the important part. They need an external perspective. They need something external to provoke and change. I've talked about this concept so many times. I-D-I-C. It's combinations. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. I looked it up. (laughs) Right? Differing perspectives give differing ideas, which prompt new ideas, which prompt new ideas. This is something I talk about constantly in, in this show, but also in real life. The ideas that he demands an external perspective on this, that someone who is not Vulcan can help the Vulcan people lines up perfectly with the IDIC mentality and Sorok's teachings in specific. So, of course, he insists on it being Archer. Archer was bungled into this. He's no chosen hero, unlike what was happening back in, um, back in the, the end of the Zindi arc. You are the chosen one. You remember how much I complained about that. Here, it's far more of a Picard thing. Archer is crucial to the future of the Vulcan people. We are not being shown or told we are not being told he is crucial to the the future of the Vulcan people. You see the distinction, and you see how much why I made such a fuss about it back then. This still isn 't perfect, but it still works in my opinion after all. well, what happens is Sorok mentions how worried he is that his people are about to descend back into their violent past, and this is immediately followed very next scene by Vulcans under Vlas firing on their long-standing, century-long military allies who want nothing but peace and cooperation with them. Mostly. Can't speak for everyone. Those those guys in the bar, they didn't want that, but we, we can dismiss them on this matter. I mean, think about it. And this contrast helps to show some things, too, because... There's a bit where Saval is honest. Yes, I gave away the information. I'm the one who, who allowed them to get through the net. And t- 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 Tucker decides to go ahead and be honest. Look, our captain's down there. He was looking for the Serenites. We need to find them. Vla says, okay. Well, <clears throat> you, you can go, we'll, we'll go ahead and get them back to you. Get out of here. Get out of here now. We need no witnesses. He doesn't say this, but we need no witnesses. So leave or else I will start firing upon you. And in the background, Kuvok, credit to Roxanne Dawson, Kuvok just visibly moves like, wait, what? You, what? <laughs> Doesn't say anything, but the, the, just the physical reaction to the comment. This is interesting, because it's very clear, based on evidence we see in these two episodes and some previous stuff and something coming up, that what Vloss has been doing is A to Z. Now, very quick, in case you don't remember what that is. A to Z is, A is acceptable, Z is totally unacceptable but the distance between A and Z is huge. That's what makes it such a gap. It's like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'd never do that. But if you go from A to B, well, that's just a little hop. And B to C and C to D and so forth and so on. Usually someone walks into a line and that's the line they won't cross, but the point is it's much easier to take one step forward than it is to take a lunge. This is Vloss's mistake. What he's been doing is A to B to C to D, but then it gets to this point and he just jumps forward several letters. And... As happens with this mentality, with the A to Z theory, any large jump is is met with reaction and shock. Like, whoa, wait a second. Like, I was okay with doing this one little step, but you're talking about doing this. I'm not okay with that. And this is destroying Vloss's own argument and his position. So, <laughs> this leads to Enterprise getting cra- crashed on because they, they really are they're no match not for several vulcan ships that's that's not going to happen so okay uh we're gonna have to withdraw we don't have a choice our deaths will not serve any meaning here and so vol is the one who points that out but tucker's like yeah no okay so then they bombard the compound and Teles dies this is cliched as hell if i could just be blunt to less dying right next to where they were and going back to find her and all that. that And, of course, the death of the mother figure that she just had the fight with and, not, and she was just starting to reconnect with, blah, 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 blah. It's very clichéd. I'm okay with it, though. Entirely because of the actors who managed to sell the scene and actually put some emotional oomph into it so that it has some impact. As usual, a cliché is not necessarily a bad thing. It is how you use it. This leads to another cliché. We're going to Andoria. (laughs) One of the other... I mentioned how the Sengoku-Judai thing is starting to be an actual thing, and will continue to be a thing in several episodes in the future. This... The way they talk about it kind of helps to indicate in passing and in kind of a surface-level way... What's going to happen if one of the major powers outright attacks one of the other major powers? I don't mean like attacking Enterprise. I mean like a full-scale, a fleet goes to invade the other fleet kind of a deal. This is going to be a whirlpool. Anytime two of the powers who are balanced against each other decide to fight, the other powers are going to get drawn in, either because they're going to start attacking the people who are now weaker, or because they're going to get drawn in as allies, or going to get drawn in against enemies, and that whirlpool of war is just going to grow now, who benefits from that before I cut off? I meant to talk about this earlier. My apologies, Bruce Guy, uh, excuse me, Bruce Gray, in rebound handwriting, actually plays Surok and does a pretty good job of him. You may or may not remember him. He played Admiral Chikote, no relation, back in both TNG and Deep Space Nine, and was also the interrogator on Babylon 5. I wanted to give special praise to him because he comes across as someone... He doesn't have that smooth sereneness like we saw in the previous episode. Instead, what we see from him is someone who is just filled with regret. And that's very appropriate. This is someone who really did want to just make a better life for his people, and he is aware of what is happening to that better life 1,800 years later, thanks to the people he's bouncing around in, and yeah, it would cause me quite a bit of grief, too. I hope you have enjoyed, as always. I will see you next time.